This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Well, I, was, uh, I saw this uh, video of uh, two guys that were going to do, um, do a fight, right? It was uh, before Ultimate Fight Championships got going where they get, they get the guys or the gals in the octagon and they do this battle. It's, not like, it's a fight, but it's not like boxing. There's the only rules where you can't gouge somebody's eyes and you can't bite them. So it's a pretty tough kind of fight. And it was this massive bodybuilder guy that weighed 275 pounds. He was huge. And he was going to go up against a uh, guy that does Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he was about 180 pounds. And so the, uh, the, you know, the obvious choice of who's going to be the winner is the massive guy once he gets a hold of this, this fellow. And so there's a bunch of people circled around the, the mat, and you can tell the, the big guy's coming out. like He's a mauler, right, like this, and he's trying to punch the guy. But the, the jiu-jitsu guy was just kicking his shin just kicking his shin over and over again. And the guy was going down like this to, to protect his shin, and then the grappler popped him in the chin like that, you know, because it was a distraction, you know? And so then the, guy, the, the big guy's realizing, I can't do anything with this, like, hand-to-hand combat, so I'm going to just jump on the guy and maul him, which he does. But this jiu-jitsu guy, even though he wasn't as big, he had a lot of really effective techniques to maneuver his legs under this guy, and what happened was the big guy got worn out and every time he was trying to punch down on the smaller guy, he wasn't making any connections. They had their hands like this. And the, the smaller guy, the jiu-jitsu guy, was down low, and he was using the big man's strength against him until he got worn out. And he's getting these shots in, getting these shots in. And then eventually, he got him in something called an arm bar, which basically the guy had to tap out, which means he quit because he would have broken his arm the backwards way. And so at the end of this battle, the big guy is totally defeated. His face is bloodied, and he's worn out. And the jiu-jitsu guy is just like straightening up his robe, but like, he, he, like he's getting ready to go out to dinner. And it just occurred to me that sometimes in life, when we face challenges, when we're experiencing difficulties, we, we use the same pr- practices and techniques as the big guy. We just decide all of a sudden that we're going to go after these problems, and we fight, and we swing, and we try to get after it as best as we can. We would use all these different strategies, and we're coming up with solutions, and we just wear ourselves out, and we end up getting our butts kicked in the end. Excuse me. When, if we use the right technique, if we understand how to use our opponent's strength against him, if we trust in leverage and in access in the right ways, we can face massive, significant problems and walk out on the other side and be ready to go out to dinner. And when I was thinking about this story, I realized that in some ways, our life in prayer can be like being a person who's skilled in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Because we have the God of the universe who wants to be in relationship with us, who actually, I would uh, believe, that allows us to experience the difficulties of this world and the challenges of living in this moment, facing big, mauler kind of problems, and wants to see, do we want to come and ask him for solutions? Do we want to unite ourselves with the God who has all of the strength that is needed to face any battle? 
Are we willing to listen to the God of the universe instead of just running out like crazy, flailing, fighting when we face problems? Because it's our tendency. If you're like me at all, maybe you're not like me. But when something difficult comes up, you just jump to a conclusion and we say, here's how I'm going to deal with this. Instead of saying, what's the best approach? How does God want to teach me through this? How do I use the gifts and the talents and the skills and the heart that God has given to me to face the problems that I face? Jesus is is teaching us about prayer. And I think prayer is something that gives us access to God in a way that no amount of strength or training can give us. We have access to the God of the universe who wants to see not so much can we conquer the problems, but do we want to trust in him? Are we making ourselves available to him to listen and to learn and to grow? And so he's in this, uh, this section here, and there's, there's three main sections of this teaching on, on what we've call, we call the Lord's Prayer. There's two sections that are similar. One says, don't be like the hypocrites, pray like this. The next section is, don't be like the Gentiles, pray like this. And then the last section is on forgiveness. So we're going to go in those three sections. Don't pray like the hypocrites, don't pray like the Gentiles, and forgive. So in the first section that Jesus goes through, he says, and when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites, right? Who is he referring to when he says the hypocrites? He's talking about the religious leaders. And, and these are folks that we've been picking on all series long, right? The, the Pharisees, uh, those that are really strict in their observance of the rules, those that want to have an outward display of righteousness, but their hearts are far from God. God, we know he wants our hearts. He's not concerned with what is on the outside. He wants us to be close. And he, what does Jesus say that these, these uh, hypocrites do? He says in verse 5, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't pray in the, in the, the court of the community of faith, right? It's a, it's a God-given thing. It's a blessing for us to pray. Some are called to lead in prayer for different services. It's a good thing. And we should certainly, I would say, go out to the street corner and pray for the city. That's a a good thing. Jesus is not saying don't stand up when you pray, right? We can pray. Often we say, well, you know, close your eyes and bow your head, but we can stand with our eyes open or with our our arms out and pray. That's a, a good posture. He's not saying don't pray publicly. We see lots of public prayer in the in the Bible. What Jesus is getting at in this section is the motivation. Jesus is always concerned with the heart. What is the heart or the reason why you feel led to pray in public or to pray uh, in the community? He says the the motivation of the hypocrites is that they would what? Be seen by others. These prayers are being offered to attract attention, to, to communicate to the world in some way, hey, I'm a faithful person, I'm a religious person, and I want you to see me doing my religious activities. Now, I don't think that for most of us the concern is, you know, I, there's not a lot of people fighting to come up here and pray publicly. Usually, we're, hey, will you do this? And be like, oh, you really want me to do that? And we've got some great folks praying these days, right? Uh, and the problem with you guys, I don't think, is going out uh, to, uh, to the restaurant and standing in front of, you know, uh, Perkins and just, I'm praying over Perkins, or I haven't seen anyone doing that. But Jesus is getting at the heart of, uh, of religious activity that is being done to perform. 
to demonstrate to others. And so what does that look like for us? Well, maybe it's uh, talking about church or talking about our faith or arguing about Christianity, but not having the, the devotional life in our private time, in our hearts, that is, matches up with what we say we believe. Right? It's that inconsistency where we say we're, we're faithful, but it really is more just outwardly focused. It's just a lot of activity. And you know, here's the challenge of uh, serving and living in, in the church, right? And I don't mean in the building the church, but I'm referring to that also. Like, there are things that have to happen, right? Someone's got to film the, uh, the, the service, right? And we're looking for someone to do that starting in August, right? Raise your hand if you want to do it. Come on. And there's someone that needs to play the music and to organize things. And we need people, we need ushers. And there's activity that goes on. And those things are wonderful opportunities to serve because we're, we're wanting to make space for people to come and feel welcomed and encouraged so they can hear the word of God and to rejoice in that. But if we're not careful, we can come up here and or only on those times when we're working or when we come up here, we're just working. We're not engaging in relationship with God or with others. We're just doing chit-chat. And I recognize that Sunday mornings aren't the, the best time to really go deep. We need other spaces. But it's, it's possible for us to just be up here doing religious things and not really connecting with God and not really being vulnerable with others and having uh, a depth of relationship. And so Jesus is saying, don't pray like the hypocrites because their hearts aren't there. And so what does he say? He said, don't pray like those people. Right? And notice that in verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray, or he's assuming that we are praying. And what does that mean to pray? Right? It means to be in a conversation with God. Sometimes it can happen as you're walking outside in your neighborhood. It can be as you drive along. It can be as you go to sleep. It can be all the time in a conversation with God. But I think it also means set aside time to say, Lord, this is my time of prayer. And if you don't have that in your life, then you say, these 10 minutes of this day, start with 10 minutes, start with five minutes and say, I'm gonna commit this time to say, Lord, I'm gonna pray. And it's challenging. If you haven't sat down for 10 minutes and said, I'm gonna pray, it's a challenge. But then as you do it more, as you connect more, God will reveal. What does he say? Go into your room. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Right? There is a, an aspect of prayer that can happen all along the way. And I know that that's part of our lives. But is part of your life saying, I'm going to go to my place of prayer. It's a, it's a chair in your home. It's a place in your office where you turn everything off and you say, God, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. I just want to have a conversation with you. And think about this. Think about the conversations that you have with people that you see at the restaurant or at the game or here. You don't have to think through, oh, I don't know what to say to them when I meet them. What do I, what do I talk to them about? Sometimes we think prayer is like, God, what do I say to God? You just start talking or maybe even start listening. Say, Lord, what is it that you want to say? Open up a, a passage and read a psalm or a proverb and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? Speak to me. Let me speak to you. But have that set time. And if it's 10 minutes, make it 15. If it's 15, make it an hour. If it's an hour, make it two. Don't be afraid to, to say, Lord, speak to me and develop that aspect of your spiritual life. Because what happens? In this verse, I don't know if you noticed this, but in ver the end of verse 5, 
It says, they have received their reward. And then it says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a reward involved. What's a reward? Hey, does anybody want to receive a reward? If you, you know, give the information that catches the criminal, you get a reward. We want a reward. What's that? Something beneficial. There's a blessing in it. And what's the reward in prayer? Well, there's probably a lot of things. Discernment about how to respond to a difficult situation. Right? Guidance from God through his word to know how to work through difficulties in relationships, uh, to work through forgiveness or hurt, or to know what's the next step. Those are all benefits of prayer. But I think there's another benefit of prayer, a reward that we don't often think about, but this, the presence of God himself. To know that this God who created everything wants to be in relationship with me, wants to know me and to love me and to remind me of that truth. Also, the, the God will bring up sin in my life. Oh, I need to confess that sin, but it doesn't separate me from God. It actually brings me closer because I know that he forgives me. All these rewards come to us in prayer. And let me tell you, scrolling through your feeds on your social media platform does not bring that reward. It just doesn't. It brings something else. Waste your time and like, oh gosh, I can't believe they got to go on that trip. <laughs> but here's, I get to be in, have an encounter with the living God. Because prayer is such a vital part of our our lives. And and this is a struggle for us all. Because we're so busy with things and activities and and events. Because honestly, sometimes maybe we think it's intimidating. How do I do it? Does God really want to talk with me? But yes, he does. Jesus is telling us that's the case. See, this God who loves us. We know that he loves us because he sent his son to die for us. And to make us right so that we could be in conversation with him. That we could commune with him. That we could know his grace. And so when we talk with him and we encounter him, he reminds us of his presence and he reminds us of the purpose that we have in this world. When you feel discouraged, you feel defeated, or you feel like you don't know what you're doing in your life, or you wonder what's the next step, you remember there's a God that's with you and a God that's for you. So that by spending time with him, you're reminded of that. So then when you face the challenge, when you experience the difficulty, you know, I know that God is with me. But see, The only way we're going to be able to face the challenges of the world and be the people that God wants us to be is if we've spent time in private with God. That's where God honestly deals with our hearts and the struggles that we have. It's that, you know, there was a phrase a while ago that said, well, you need to spend quality time with your children. And I think that's the case. The hard part is, is that you don't really know when quality time actually happens. So in order to have, because sometimes you, you are just doing errands and whatever, and all of a sudden you have this great conversation. So if you just say, hey, we're only going to do quality, quality time, you're probably not going to get it because you don't know when it's going to occur. So you've got to spend quantity time in order to find those spaces of quality time. And not every time that you pray are you going to go, the heavens opened and God revealed his glory to me, and I, I, I walk in truth. There are times when you pray and you say, I know, God, you're listening, but I'm not hearing from you. I know you've called me, and the more I spend seeking to engage you and seeking to find you, then I will in that time of prayer. John Wesley, who was a a, a Methodist itinerant, uh, meaning he went around and traveled around on a horse to preach, he spent two hours daily in prayer. And he said commonly, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Martin Luther said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. 
I have so much business I cannot get on with without spending two or three hours in prayer daily. And that's obviously a radical shift from what we do because our, maybe not you, but it's like I have so much going on that prayer time gets shorter unless I say, God, I know you want me to do this. As I've learned about how uh, God is moving around the world in disciple-making movements, people who aren't pastors, they're, they're taxi drivers and teachers spend an hour or two each day in the presence of God praying, seeing, seeking to see their neighbors come to faith, seeking the gospel to be advanced in miraculous ways. So Jesus calls us to pray, not in public alone, but in private where we can connect with God. So here's what God's saying to you. Let's take a moment right here. Is God saying something to you? Whenever I go through this text, I think God wants me to pray more, right? And that may be the response to what God's telling you to do. And I would encourage you, if that's what he's saying, to do it. But I know this, if I sit in the room and I say, oh, I'm gonna pray more, I'll never do it. Maybe God is asking you to be more specific, to say, you know, Matt, you need to take time every single day to go into a room, to put your phone and your computer away, to walk away from technology, to get away from family or work, and to pray. It's a specific time. It's a specific amount of time. Maybe God is saying to you to give a specific amount of time and seek to make a commitment to that. And if you, if you, you don't do it one time, guess what? No lightning bolt is going to strike you. But when you do, and it becomes part of your life, then it'll become more of your life. We talk a lot about extraordinary prayer. What's the ordinary prayer you do? Well, do a little bit extra. Do a little bit extra. And then when that becomes ordinary, then do a little bit extra. If you want to be a person of prayer, you just start with one minute of prayer a day and keep increasing. So what's God saying to you? Make a commitment. Say, yes, Lord, I want to do this in light of what you said. Write it down and put it in front of you so that when you see it, you go, oh, yeah, I remember God told me to do that. I'm going to do it. We make a list for everything else. Why don't we make a list when God tells us what to do? If I go to the grocery store without a list, I come home and I'm in trouble. If we come to church and we're not responding to what God has told us to do, we're not going to grow. You may not be in trouble with God, but we won't grow. We won't be the people he wants us to be. So I'm glad I'm hearing pens click and papers writing now. It's good. Then Jesus says, first he said, don't pray like the hypocrites. And then he says, don't pray like the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles are the people who are, they're outside the covenant. They're not Jewish people who are members of the covenant family. And what does he say about them? And when you pray, notice, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases, verse 7, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him Pray then like this. And he goes through then the Lord's Prayer. Here Jesus is calling us to consider what are the words we use when we pray to God. The Gentiles just use phrases over and over and over again. They just repeated the same things over and over again. Uh, Like an incantation. Like if somehow, if I just keep saying this, then God is going to do what I want because I'm doing what God wants. So it's it's this transactional approach to say, God wants me to pray, so I better say these words. If I say these words, then I'm guaranteed to get the results that God wants for me. But that's not how it works, right? Prayer is about relationship, right? When you, when you hang out with your friend who you've known for a really long time, you're not thinking, what can I get out of this person today, right? When you love that person, you are thinking, how can I encourage this person today? How can I help them in the challenges that they face? So it's relational. It's symbiotic. It's not, you do this for me, and I do that for you. That's not really a friendship. That's like a contractual relationship. 
It's the same with God. We want to be in relationship with him. Okay? And so if we just believe that we just repeat these phrases, that we're going to get God to do something for us, we're mistaken. And that kind of prayer essentially is just like the Pharisees in that it's self-focused. It's on, it's on me getting what I want. I remember when I was little, I had the same prayer every night. I said, my brother's Joel, I said, Dear Lord, thank you for me, Mom, Dad, and Joel. Help Dad to do good at work, and me and Joel do good at sports. Amen. It's the same prayer every night. And he did not answer the one with the sports. It just didn't work out. That's why I'm here as a pastor. Uh, no. But like, it was just the same thing. And you know, I was a kid, so I didn't really know what to pray. But man, I prayed that prayer. I like, help my dad do good at work. <laughs> um, but sometimes we just get stuck in a rut. We just say the same things over again. And we don't really mean it. Like even the Lord's Prayer, right? The one that we say on Sunday morning. right? It can be just essentially like a prayer like the Gentiles' prayer. We just go through the words. The only time we really think about it is if we're, if we're like, are they going to say debts or trespasses? Which one are they going to say? Okay, All right, okay, God, it made it. Right? We're not really thinking about what that means. And I think sometimes we, we look at the Lord's Prayer and we just repeat it. And, and it's funny because Jesus is saying, don't just repeat prayers and don't think about them. Instead, pray like this. And we take the prayer that Jesus said, teaching us how to pray, and we repeat it like an incantation prayer. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? It's a conversation. Jesus is wanting us to engage in a conversation. And so if you're just praying the same things every time, it's possible that you're just doing a childlike prayer that I did, which is similar to an incantation kind of prayer like the Gentiles do. And here's the good news for you. If that's what you're doing, Jesus through his word is teaching you, hey, there's more to prayer than that. So I'm glad that you're praying. I'm glad that you're saying something. But let's, instead of just repeating words, let's move toward relationship. And think about that. God wants to be in relationship. He wants to know what's going on. He already knows what's going on. But he wants to know what's going on with you, for you to open your heart, for you to be real with him, for you to be open and honest. Man, when you do that, there's a sense of freedom and of hope and of connection that can take place in your relationship with God. That guess what spills out into all your other relationships too? That's part of the reward, I think. Like when we're right with God and we're connected to God, when I'm in prayer and, and communing with the Lord, when there's difficulty and conflict in my family, I am much more grace-oriented to work and navigate the tension that naturally exists when you have six people living together in a home. But man, when I'm not, I can come in and go, bop, 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 don't do this, don't do that, go to your room, blah, blah, blah. Be a cranky dad. And that's all connected to, am I connected to the Father? Am I connected to the Spirit? Am I connected to Him? See, our prayer helps us to connect with God. It's more than just saying, Lord, keep me safe. Keep me safe. You know, we, we play uh, sports in the rec ministry and the prayers before the games are always super sweet because it's a child. It's like, who wants to pray? And everyone goes like this. Uh, but we had one guy named Henry on our basketball team every time, boom, he was the first guy. He was always, let me pray. So it was like, Henry. And he had a Catholic background, so he would do the, he would genuflect. But man, his prayers were so sweet. It was so sweet. But often those prayers, in the pregame prayer are, help us have fun and keep us safe. And man, we want to have fun and we want to be safe. And that's not really the time. If a child said, oh Lord, bring the glory of God down upon this earth and may we see mountains move and the peoples come to you. I would be like, dude, you want to come work with us? You know? 
But we want prayers for safety. We want prayers for health. But we also need big, giant, God-sized prayers that ask God to do what he can only do. Lord, bring peace to our city. Bring justice to our community. Rid the nation of India of COVID as it, as it devastates that, that country. Bring a reconciliation to people of differing political views so this place, this country can be a place of peace and of hope and of joy, even if we disagree on really important things, that we would be able to love one another. Like those things that only God can do because God is the one that can do them. And so when we're praying, we're in relation. We have to ask, Lord, do these things. Yeah, pray that you make it home safe from lunch. I'm all for that. But God is my, I think, less concerned about our personal safety and more concerned about the, whether or not our hearts are really for him. Because if we're all driving around with seatbelts and we don't get into accidents and we're fine, but we're far from God and we're going to an eternal destiny apart from him, that's not a good thing. Sometimes those difficulties, those challenges of life get us to a place of prayer. And you guys know this. When you lose the job, when you lose the family member, when you face the, the, the divorce papers or the diagnosis, that's when you say, oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, you're the only one that I can go to. And so then don't just go to the Lord when it's the difficult time. But in the celebration, in the joy, say, God, I want to rejoice with you. Because then when the difficulty comes, and it will then you can see the challenges of this life with the purposes of God because of the sovereignty of God because you've been spending time with him. Right now, this moment today is the time to prepare for disaster. Because when you face something horrific in your family, if you've prayed today and tomorrow and the next day, in increasing measure, you'll be ready. You'll be ready not to be a basket case, but to be the one that can step up with grief and with sorrow and with, um, with whatever emotion you're feeling, but able to say, I can believe in the Lord God Almighty, and I'm here to help my family, to help my community, to go through this difficult thing, because I know that God is sovereign. But that doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by, it happens with intention as we pray. And I know a person that prayed a lot is a guy named George Mueller. We've read his biography in our, in our home. He was a guy that just, um, he went to seminary and he wasn't a Christian. And he got converted at an unsanctioned church meeting. And they had seminary where you trained to be a pastor. <laughs> and you had to write, it only could preach sermons that were approved by the government. And then they had this unsanctioned meeting where they were actually talking about what it meant to love Jesus. And he was converted. And as a result of that, over the course of his life, he wanted to serve children, and he just took kids in, and he never asked for money. He only prayed, and there's a bunch of miraculous stories about how God provided for those orphans, 10,000 over the course of his life that he cared for and brought into homes and amazing stories. But one of the things that he prayed about when he came to faith, he had five really close friends, and he always prayed for those friends to come to know Jesus. And after five years, one of those friends came to know Christ. In 10 years, two more of them became followers of Jesus. He prayed on for 25 years, and another man came to faith. And the fifth man he prayed until the time of his death. And after he died, a few months later, that man came to Christ too. For years and years and years and years, a simple prayer, Lord, 
bring these men, my friends, to faith. And God answered those prayers. God can't answer the prayers that we don't make. Make the prayers. Think about that. 52 years he prayed. Sometimes it takes that long, but it's worth praying. It's powerful stuff. So God is saying earnestly, prayerfully, faithfully pray for, to, for God to do what he would do. What, and you look in the New Testament, there's this phrase, pray earnestly. God tells us, pray earnestly for these things. It's a vision value in our church. We want to grow in our heart for prayer. We have a prayer meeting online here at 1 o'clock. I know that isn't, isn't convenient for everybody. But man, we gather together and we pray for our needs. And we also pray that God's kingdom would come to earth, that he would reach our city for Jesus' sake. And then Jesus goes into this most famous prayer that's ever been prayed, one that we say every single day, every single Sunday almost. Now, I recognize that one Sunday is not enough time to go into this. My mom's church one time did a 10-year series on the Lord's Prayer. Each year, they took one of those phrases and unpacked it. We're going to do uh, one. <laughs> and we're not really even going to unpack it, because what I'm inviting you to do today Sometime today is to sit down with this prayer that we call uh, the Lord's Prayer and to sit down with it and to say, God, teach me to pray. I say this on Sunday. I know it by heart. But what is it really saying? To go e through each phrase, focusing on this word or that word and ask God, take 15 minutes, take 30 minutes. Uh, parents of young children, husband goes for a time, wife goes for a time, but just take some time today and say, Lord, teach me to pray and do what God tells you to do. Be reminded of who God's called you to be. Live in his presence and rejoice in his goodness. And here's the, the good news about this is that think about how this prayer begins. There's so much to say that we can unpack here, but he says, our Father in heaven. The first two words, our Father. Now, I know that not everybody's dad uh, was perfect, but one of the ways that we can know the perfection of our Father is the imperfection of our earthly fathers. But we know that we have a relationship with God. God's not distant. He's not far away. He's close to you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And it's our Father. It's a group of us. It's not just me and my Bible and Jesus. It's God speaking to me as a member of a community, as a member of a body that goes all over the world, a member of a, of a community of faith that has existed for thousands of years that's going to march toward a triumphant return of Jesus Christ. You are part of that. And you're in relationship with that God because of Jesus Christ, who is the Father. When you begin your study today, if you choose to accept this mission, know that God is your Father, that he wants to speak to you. He wants to connect with you. He wants the kingdom to come into your life. So I encourage you to take some time today to do that. And then there's this section here at the end that doesn't really seem to make sense to us, right? So there's the Lord's Prayer, but we never recite this in church, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What's this deal with forgiveness? Well, I think that there's a big part of our connection and relationship with God that means us forgiving the people in our lives that we perceive have hurt us. They may have actually hurt us. We may just perceiving that they hurt us. But for whatever reason, there's this break in the relationship. That affects our ability to connect with God. And whenever God puts a person like that on your heart in prayer, I think God is saying, I want you to forgive that person. They may not deserve it. They may not be asking for it. 
But forgiveness is not saying, you better apologize to me, and then I'll say it's okay. Forgiveness is saying, Lord, I'm going to allow you to deal with this person. I'm going to make a conscious decision to forgive, and I'm going to release them to you. And the more you do that, the more you'll actually be released. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tara uh, was a, is a famous Christian teacher. She had, she's a paraplegic, and she uh, is, a, is a wonderful woman of faith. But one time she was struggling with, how can I forgive this person who has, has hurt me? And she had an old pastor that was, uh, give, he gave her an example, and he said, there was an old church building that had a bell in the tower, and so you ring the, ring the, pull the rope to ring the bell. But when you stop pulling the rope, the bell keeps ringing for a little while. And so it is with forgiveness. The bell keeps ringing. We have to forgive a person who's hurt us. But we also have to keep forgiving the person who has hurt us. And part of learning how to do that is to reflect on what Jesus has done to forgive us. Right? When we begin to think, what have I done? What have... What, what things have I said or what actions have I not taken? God, will you forgive me for those things? Sometimes that means going and having a conversation with someone and saying, I'm sorry for what I said or for how I said it. But it means then God brings up to us, are those people? I was talking with a, with a friend of mine and he goes, you know, God, God has given me um, what I call Forgiveness Friday. Forgiveness Friday where God has given me a list of people who I feel like have hurt me. And so on Fridays, I go through that list, and I forgive them each day a little bit more. Another friend of mine was there saying, oh, I prefer imprecatory Mondays. Imprecatory Psalms are those ones that cast down judgment on people, <laughs> right? There's that tendency for us to want to say, uh, I'm not going to do Forgiveness Friday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rehearse in my head all the ways that you have hurt me. I'm going to speak about it repeatedly. But those conversations never really end. It's only when we move from imprecatory Monday to forgiveness Friday where we can let go of those things. And every one of us has been hurt. And sometimes for good reasons. Not that we were hurt for good reasons, but we have actually feel hurt because it's a real reason. But sometimes it's not. The person didn't even realize it. And so when we forgive, then God restores our relationship with him. And that's what prayer is all about, is the restoration of our relationship with God and with others, and then that allows us to become the kind of people that want to go out into the world and to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ with our actions, with our words, and our service, and our kindness. And we say, we are followers of Jesus. We want to, I want to minister, I want to care. I'm here in the office and there's a conflict and I want to enter in as a person of peace. Or there's a situation in my family and because I've been equipped with the gospel, I can enter in in love and to say, I love you, you're important to God. Whatever the responsibility might be. So what's God saying to you? What's he asking you to do in prayer? Has he, has he called you to commit to studying the Lord's Prayer today for some amount of time? Is there someone you need to forgive? I know for me, the answer is, all, is yes to all of those. So how do I say, yes, Lord, I want to follow and do what you've asked me to do? Because if I'm going to be one in the way, not like in the way as a block, but in the way of Jesus to bring life, I want to do what God tells me to do because that's going to make a difference in this world in huge ways and in small ways. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. 
Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandprez.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.